Podcast where we discuss horror movies featuring children. Because parenting can be scary. And kids, and sometimes their parents, are definitely creepy. Oh, hello. Hi, Carol. Well, we're back with another dreadful movie. Well, yeah, that didn't take long. (laughs) Well, I thought we didn't want to alienate our base, you know? Like, we didn't want to have it be too lovey-dovey around here. That's right. Everyone knows that our real bread and butter is a shit feast. Of, our least favorite meal would just be like a pile of beets. This would be a pile of beets as a movie, ironically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a pretty bad movie. What movie are we talking about here? Oh, <laughs> Children of the Corn, 1984, based on a Stephen King novella. That's the full title, the official one. Yeah. Children of the Corn, 1984. Based on a Stephen King novella. Oh, man. It does stink. And much like Insidious, our baseline for shit on this show, there's what, four or five of them? How many? I think of Insidious. Of Children's of Corn. Oh, seven at least. That's outrageous. I mean, that's not counting because there's like sequels and then there's remakes and then there's just probably direct to uh streaming laser disc now what do yeah, the kids right. buy movies on um straight to streaming they're not buying anything they're pirating everything uh, don't i know it it's, yeah it is a beet dish served cold <laughs> cold beets i accidentally got beets in my lunch today uh, even though i specifically they- said no beets and there they were anyway but that's not what this podcast is about is it I just, I'm sad for you. And then I'm also, I also don't understand how you ate it because you're so much more tolerant. I didn't eat it. Good. I threw them. It's not true. I gave them to a coworker. Just the beets. That's right. See, they just poisoned the whole thing for me. The the people who eat them? (laughs) Well, speaking of which, let's, let's start talking about this movie. All right. Well, well, first we need that recap, Josh. Gotta get it. Got, got to get it. Go to your favorite database please oh, i'm here mine my favorite for all of you listeners out there oh mommy a, and daddy recommended that's right the internet movie database it's recap time baby that's a stephen king line <laughs> a boy preacher named isaac goes to a town in nebraska called gatlin and gets all the children to murder every adult in town a young couple have a murder to report and they go to the nearest town gatlin to seek help, but the town seems deserted. They're soon trapped in Gatlin with little chance of getting out alive. Shoutouts, Amon Green. Amon, thank you. It's not a good recap, but it's the best we've got. We do not have time to write these things ourselves, okay, people? So please don't comment and suggest that. No, the next one does have the person's email address <laughs> included in their usernames. I'm very tempted to read that one. But the thing that I like about this one the most is that... It says uh, Gatlin three times. It says Gatlin three times. And Gatlin is not, spoiler alert, a acronym or an anagram for anything. Oh yeah, it's no nilbog. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. The fucked up part about this recap, it says, a young couple have a murder to report Right. They ran a kid over with their car. Now, granted, one of them, Bert, happens to be a medical doctor. Or he's studying to be one. He's going for his residency or internship or something. Yeah. How handy and convenient is that? And so he's happy to report that this child has died from knife wounds. Yeah, uh, and not the car. Not the car. But yeah, it's well, not like he tried to save the kid. Right. The thing that this recap is leaving out most importantly, is the corn. Um, and the, like, I, I mean, it doesn't have to get into it. You know, you got to keep it to a couple sentences. But the whole thing really is about this cult of corn. There's some sort of monster in it. Well, the town probably once was a successful, you know, corn 
Corn town. Town. So the that's I don't know. Should should probably started there. Corn as, mazes once a year. Yeah, as shall we. So the beginning of this movie, the very first scene, the narrator, Job, young child, who is infuriatingly uh gee whiz, he is talking about looking back on this day where all the parents were murdered that shows the scene in the diner where he's just going to get his strawberry milkshake with his bow tie. And, you know, it's set in the eighties. It's not set in some. That's true. It's I don't not know. set in, you know, 1950s. It's not supposed to be like uh Mayberry or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it, so that was weird. Um, but it's looking back on this day and there's no other explanation besides you can see from like the outside of a church that the corn crop is dried up. There's this drought and people are poor and upset. But other than that, there's no real evidence of it, even in the diner. Like no, it doesn't no, make these people not aren't poor desperate enough to not go out for breakfast. Right. Or strawberry milkshake. That's right. Um, I mean, the diner's full. Everybody. Yeah. The diner's full. Everybody's drinking coffee. The, the children in short poison and then murder with that's right <laughs> farm you, tools all the parents in the diner and you can see it's being orchestrated by this kid outside dressed in all black with a big black hat who is we will soon learn to be isaac so the the diner scene is really problematic and i you already hit a big nail on the head which is they poisoned and then murder all of like they violently murder after they've poisoned all the adults. Yeah. And start slashing throats left and right. Yeah. Like every kid pulls out a giant scythe or scythe. Scythe. I was just talking about this kind of these kinds of words today at work. They're like, you just don't really know. Yeah. No one does. I defy you listeners to come up with an actual answer to the question of how you pronounce the word. <laughs> There's a right way. Skith. <laughs> um, that sounds wrong. So, um, yeah, I, I almost never ask a movie for more explanation or um, exposition. But I think it's just a failure on many points where they could have shown how desperate these people were, you know, and how mm -hmm. like if they really were starving because of this drought, like what would drive kids to murder their parents or you know if the if the parents were making the kids work uh crazy hours or something you know if there was some mm -hmm. sort of other thing happening i think malachi is like at the pinball machine when isaac gives the nod to murder everybody from outside he probably didn't even put a quarter in <laughs> malachi that poor kid all right so we'll get into him later <laughs> The point is, from the very beginning, it's it's just it's on the wrong foot because there's this discrepancy with what time, what t like honestly, what year is this is all happening in? Because the narrator is like reminiscing on it, but he's you know it's only a few years later, three that, years later, yeah. And this is the only appearance of the narrator in the entire film from front to back. He doesn't even bookend the thing. He doesn't. I mean, he comes back as a person, but he's not. He's not present as a narrator. No, because then it just catches up to like the real time that he's, he's just narrating the, the explanation that there's no explanation. He's just narrating like what happened on the day they killed all their parents. It doesn't, it That's makes right. so and really like laying it down. He's talking about yeah, and how he's, but his he, sister and, is, is sick and she's got the sight and she's drawn this is when she started making her drawings and his dad was a nice man or something like that. Smart yeah. and a smart man. Just so you know, like that's the only whiff of a reason that they give for or any kind of sympathy for these murdered parents. For all we know, they're real shit heels who caused the drought in the town on purpose. <laughs> As a means of they were going to starve out all the kids. Maybe yeah. Maybe that's really what was going on. Right. We'll never know. Um, Listeners, I defy you to find source material for this. And it could possibly answer the question, <laughs> what was really going on in Gatlin? <laughs> or any of the 18 movies that follow. <laughs> and Job, this kid, is narrating all of this stuff in the super upbeat tone, which 
could have been creepy, but it wasn't. It wasn't. That wasn't the point of that. It's just he he's absolutely not traumatized at all by what happened and never shows none of the kids show any trauma. Like, sure, some of them are part of this cult, but then even him and Sarah are just kind of like, oh, I guess we're stuck in this town now. Like everyone was killed. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's murdered. We all know that trauma is everlasting for kids who don't get it treated. Yeah. Who there's these kids are they're totally fucked up and they should be, but they're not. They're, they're fine. Not. By the end they're happy to be just playing dress up in their old house. Yeah, they're just like playing Monopoly and doing normal kid stuff. Is there a worse two person board game? I know. Monopoly? There were some seriously scary scenes in this movie. One of them was that game of Monopoly. <laughs> um yeah, especially especially two person. But so that was a missed opportunity. There were a lot of missed opportunities here because I do think that in general, the idea is very cool and could be an actual scary movie. I was scared of this movie as a kid when I watched it. I watched so many of the Children of the Corn movies and I thought they were very scary, but they're not. They're not. And it's a shit. Well, hey, we haven't seen all of them recently yeah maybe one of them gets real fucked up yeah no they all have like 10 percent on rotten tomatoes or just thereabout so that's what i'm saying like who is greenlighting all these if they're so bad if no they're universally despised who is going to patronize these i guess besides us who did choose to watch this again yeah and and i did go into it pretty like wide-eyed thinking you know what maybe it's better than i remember no it's worse. So this the opening sequence, though, I do want to say it, it starts up very promisingly because much like fellow Stephen King entry into the show so far, Pet Cemetery starts with a children's chorus in the score. Of course. A, a little bit more in this movie besides like in Pet Cemetery where it's only in the opening and then disappears. But beyond that, it also leans on expository drawings as like a crawl across the opening credits. Right. Um, which very similar to, as we both noted separately watching this, I thought you'd say it then, Midsummer, <laughs> The movie Midsummer that just came out. That it either means that Midsummer is a Children of the Corn ripoff or maybe Midsummer is just like if Children of the Corn worked out and like Isaac right. grows up. Oh, that's a kids. good take. Yeah. Ari Aster definitely watched Children of the Corn and then went to Sweden and then made Midsummer. Like, that's just how it... Watched it on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> it's, on, it's on every plane these days. We had many moments of recognition in this movie um, as far as Midsummer comparisons. And it's not just her corn crown when they put Linda Hamilton, oh Vicky, up on a cross um, I didn't even think about that. Oh, that's so funny because the the photo for Midsummer is you know Florence Pugh in a right flower crown and um and that 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 frame is like a featured photo. So huh. the the other thing about Midsummer is the casual dysfunction in the relationship. You know, like oh, yes. Midsummer's all about this relationship. We don't want to spoil that. You didn't come here for Midsummer spoilers, but it is a lot about a relationship and its demise and yeah, this failure to communicate yeah. over very simple relationship <laughs> issues. Yeah. And this, this film children of the corn is very much, <laughs> there's not a lot of parenting in it. Um, we do have some things to talk about, but there mainly are relationship and, you know, pre-marriage things here with the two main adults as they do not have children yet and hopefully don't ever because they're awful together. Yeah. I think we can hope that this dissolves before Bert resolves his commitment issues. But yeah, like soon after the credits, we do meet Bert and Vicky. Yeah. The one other, our main protagonist, (laughs) another horrifying scene in this movie is when Linda Hamilton is walking across this motel floor barefoot. I mean, I just shudder thinking about it. That was the part that got you about that. (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> that is heinous. I would never in 1,000 years 
walk barefoot on a motel carpet are you kidding me i'm not even listen i am not a germaphobe but you don't walk barefoot hardly anywhere i'm sorry you don't and not on carpet in a motel oh you're saying one one does does not because i will do that i never have thought about that once (laughs) it's disgusting you don't know you don't know it's ever like motels i'm not even talking about a hotel here i'm talking about a shitty motel yes i'm familiar but i i sometimes don't even pack flip-flops with me when i travel (laughs) when i do the only thing i'm thinking about is what if there's a pool and i want to go use the pool this podcast is actually just going to be a record of our own relationships demise as we uncover these things (laughs) that's right yeah, I just don't think that you should do that. But hey, they're your feet, I guess. Yes, they are. <laughs> I guess so. And much like my feet, Bert makes a birthday wish and it totally stinks. Does he say his wish out loud? He does. I miss that. Which, by the way, means it's not coming true. Or is it? It says he <laughs> wants to live happily ever after. Oh, God. Oof. Let's back up a little bit. Because the first scene there in Gatlin with the uh, diner mass killing uh, brings up our first point that we wanted to talk about with kids and safety, which is storing your farm tools, any sort of, um, you know, farm equipment, tools of any kind, any sort of dangerous thing that could be used as a weapon. Yeah, anything sharp heavy mm-hmm. uh you should lock it away we do we have uh, we keep tools either high up in a closet shelf we have a lot precariously of course just right balancing oh, on the edge yeah and i weirdly i like to dangle strings just so i know they're my tools <laughs> off of them but sometimes in a closet high up they look like they're light strings they are not fair warning to all of you it's been recorded I'm absolved from any wrongdoing now. If you were to pull down, say, a circular saw on your head because you didn't listen to this podcast or thought I was joking, I am not, I assure you. It just comes with the territory here. It's Briggs household. That's right. And also behind the house is a little, like, Rubbermaid kind of shed thing. And that has a lock on it. But in there is stuff like saws. Yeah, and like just, the WD-40, anything. Yeah. like Chemicals, uh, little like camping propane tanks, those kinds of things. But you do, you just have to keep that stuff out of reach of yeah. young kids and passersby. Now, you might think, well, Children of the Corn was set in a different time where kids were doing farm work. The, the truth is it was set in the 80s. They're all just wearing old-timey clothes, and we don't know where we, they got them. So don't let that fool you. Yep. Don't let that let don't let those parents off the the skith hook is what I'm saying. Oh boy. Sky the. Sky the. Sky the. Sky the. Don't let them off the sky the hook because that's on them. That's right. When I was a kid, I used to have to put away tools. I remember being getting like yelled at for like leaving tools outside or not just not putting them back in the places they belonged. This is a generations long thing. And even just like safe handling of that stuff was part of my upbringing in the 1980s, the very same time when this film was invented. Yeah. And of course, this came to mind with safe weapon and farm tool storage, safe gun storage. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Obviously, lots of people are thinking about more and more these days. And, uh, I'm going to have a link on the Facebook um, podcast page to uh, some Moms Demand Action stuff and some Be Smart literature that you can read all about just how much of a children's women's issue this is to store those guns safely. Yeah, they just handed out these pamphlets in LAUSD for the first time this year, you said, right? Yeah. um, So I'm part of the Moms Demand Action Eastside LA chapter. There are chapters all across the country. I just started doing this a few months ago, so I don't really feel like an authority here, but it's a really great organization if you want to do things. And it's not just moms. There are just lots of women and men that volunteer. Very similar to 
Mothers Against Drunk Driving, just like a grassroots nonpartisan organization to prevent gun violence. And one of the things that they did recently was uh, hand out a flyer to all the LAUSD students about gun safety and proper gun storage. And that's like a first ever that they were allowed to do that because this is such a difficult topic to talk about. You know, people don't want to have this conversation. So that was a big win. You know, originally we were talking about not talking about guns in this section, but oh yeah, I was thinking like, I don't really know how many, what other horror movies have like guns as a thing. Yeah, that's fair. They're not usually... As scary as they are. It's not like a dramatic... It's no. Not, yeah. It's an impersonal kill. It tends to be a, to- a useless tool that a cop is foolishly, pointlessly blasting away at, say, a Michael Myers or that right. kind of thing. Right. And it does nothing. Right. Completely impotent. Yeah, that's funny. There could be a whole um there could be a whole supercut of people just like shooting at ghosts and monsters and <gasps> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um just firing into the darkness. Yeah. Always. Willy nilly. Uh, Willy nilly is the worst offender of all. Um <laughs> I don't know why they keep giving me his gun back. They just shouldn't. The city should know better by now. Oh my god. I think he would probably say blue lives matter. <laughs> uh, that willy-nilly so along the lines of fences we talk a lot about common sense stuff and the old moms demand action but these are just easy things you can do to keep your children safe and you safe from getting killed in a diner now another interesting thing about that scene is that right before they slice everybody's throats open or or put the hand, hand in a meat grinder. Which oh, was, yeah. The, there's a deli slicer and yeah. they cut off like the diner manager's fingers. Well, we assume because there's just a blood splatter. Like, that's the thing. This movie, it's it, like, if you're going to do that, come on, just show it. Was it made for TV? No. It was made for <laughs> dum-dums and idiots. <laughs> it's made for willy-nillies everywhere. <laughs> um, Wearing their Punisher skull Blue Lives Matter shirts. <laughs> That they now say are just pro-police. Well, you know, by the end of the movie, you are kind of on the kid's side because the adults are heinous in this movie. (laughs) That's true. It was super low budge. They didn't have the the time or money to show that hand getting sliced up. But uh, we don't have the time. Get out of here. (laughs) What is this? A horror movie? (laughs) Um, Lots of blood splatters to avoid the reality of what's actually happening here, which I think is another like Stephen King thing. His books just shouldn't be movies. And if they must be, then have Kubrick direct them and change them completely. Which he would hate to be Stephen King's personal prison, which is so weird. Um, We'll get to that eventually on this show. That's a fact. Very soon, probably. Mm -hmm. As it is October, the month of All Hallows Eve. I remember Halloween. So another thing in this diner scene is that before they do all this bloodshed, they poison the coffee, which you can see is uh, an adult like shaking this powder into the coffee. So the adults of Gatlin have at least done their due diligence to like lock up medicine for adult use only. The pharmacy is like sealed tight because they are rat poison or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's like or the rat poison, I guess. Yeah, or the, it does look like it's medicine. I mean, to, yeah, it's in like a medicine mm-hmm. little bottle. Yeah, vial. and and the the adult is who's doing this. She's clearly like brainwashed or she's moving like a zombie. So they've gotten control over her. A power that never returns in the movie. No. Even though there are only two adult, three adults left. Yeah, like why didn't they just immediately start controlling? Well, that's the thing. There's no, there's no explanation of like when Isaac comes to town, when he starts, you know, just a little bit more to show like that he's been talking to the kids and and riling them up. And and yes, you get it, but like it could have just built up to that scene in the diner instead of just starting with it. I feel like I'm going against myself here because normally I would love that sort of thing where you just jump into it, but 
this did not serve the movie. We are not here, though, to talk about how bad the movie was. It's unavoidable sometimes. But I'm here for it. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. It's unavoidable sometimes. So the answer to the question where are the parents is, they are dead. They're all dead. They're all dead. There is one key question that remains. What is it with this corn? What is it with this corn? What is with the corn? Well, that, see, yeah, again, like this is a cool part of the movie where eventually you do see the corn like opening itself up to show a pathway. And like there is a spirit or a monster that that's real or at least having visible effects. Yeah. A great like famous Stephen King endless demon type character, it seems. Yeah. It's like just beyond human understanding. Yeah. How much do you want to bet in the short story? There's an incredibly erotic description of that corn parting. Oh, definitely. Oh, man. Any listeners out there who have read this novella, let us know. Please call in with a reading. Yes, call in, please. Our number, so you have it, is 818-839-1991. Call in. Leave call. us an erotic voicemail. <laughs> just, just do it. God. That's why we're doing the podcast. <laughs> If it isn't obvious, I shouldn't have to spell these things out for you people. Okay, so even though we don't really understand Isaac's nature and his whole origin, I'm sure there's a prequel, there is a danger here with kids that we want to talk about, which is indoctrinating them at an early age. It's just not a great idea. I, I guess it is if you're inside the cult. You want to get them early. Oh, yeah. Early and often. Mm-hmm. But if you're just doing like some casual corn worship, mm-hmm. you might want to have like a realistic chat with your kid about how there are other beliefs. There are people with other belief systems. There are many different agricultural monsters out there that, <laughs> you know, you have dozens of Stephen King novellas from which to choose. Just because you don't see it in your community doesn't mean it's not real and important. So That's right. You might someday meet a Kuntzman out there who you want to make your partner. And if you are come at this from a place of everything has to be Stephen King corn monsters all the time, you're just going to let maybe the love of your life pass you by. What about a Cornwell, a Cornwellian? <laughs> A Patty Cornwell? I think, though, (laughs) what we, when we were watching this and just kind of briefly talking about religion and stuff, you know, we are not a religious household and we still struggle with our approach to religion. And, you know, our kids go to a preschool that is at a church, at a a church uh, nearby. And, you know, we chose the preschool based on, the teachers and the environment and the vibes. Yeah. The vibes and, and not anything to do with their, the faith-based educational aspects of it. That right. will in, in At some point come into play. I mean, they do to some degree. The point of this though, is that you can still be true to your own faith while still acknowledging other ones. And that will help really steal yourselves against over indoctrinating your kids. If you are actually acknowledging of other belief systems in the world and maybe not rolling your eyes and, uh, or for that matter going on really gnarly tirades against say other faiths or people, uh, that's going to help your kids be on the right foot. So it is, it is still possible to be very, Right, because devout and still not be a total piece of shit. Right, because I think what I get from the two minutes of intro to the town of Gatlin before the slaughter happens is that they were all going to church. They were church going folk. That's a right. Christian they all just came back from church. Right. Now they're at the diner. And then Isaac has somehow infiltrated the kids in the community and has turned them. And it seems like it's still a judeo-christian there's a there's a lot of bible stuff i don't know what his faith is at all i don't know isaac well they're all just hanging on the cornfield with the with the devil that's the whole thing right he's just yeah it's like he he's a direct line to their god Mm -hmm. who is 
Satan. Yeah. Um, but it's not really explained. And I'm fine with that, too. But um, I like that part. Yeah. It, and I like how the, the, there's a mutiny within the kids and that part. Fine. But what I'm saying is the kids have turned away from their parents' religion and mm-hmm. glommed on to this psycho kid. So I feel like there's always that backlash, you know, if you do, if you do um, indoctrinate your kids without preparing them for this sort of thing, cults, it's very tantalizing to a child. To go join a cult? Or like, I mean, some of the kids, they, they're just not past 18, right? So like on their 19th birthday, they sacrifice themselves. Right. But yeah, to like teenagers and stuff, cults, sure. And that's true. Not to mention the corn. But do that was unexpected Uh, that's what i'm here for keeping it fresh Mm. um so i think you know have those conversations i I, because kids love answers kids love answers I, i think kids do really like religion for that purpose i think they really enjoy the the stories of any faith um but talk about other faiths, you know, talk and talk about cults. Yeah. The dangers of cults. Talk to your kids. <laughs> We're going to have this talk next week. Definitely before we was four. Cult talk. Yeah. I don't want him going to <laughs> cult with uh, Zachy Duke Bunch and the rest of the crew. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why. But Wu calls one of his friends at school Zachy Duke Bunch, and that is not his last name. No. <laughs> and I, we keep meaning to ask his parents about this, but, you know, pick up, drop off. It's all a harried and whirlwind thing. So um, next yeah. time Zachy's a play date, we will uh, we'll ask. I've been doing a lot of uh, poking around on Ancestry.com. About the Duke Bunches? Yes. I think that it might have been their actual, like it's an original family name. It's an Ellis Island switch over to their current last name. Wu is so into that. He's really into the the ancestral names. Yeah. So that's why. (laughs) Super into it. Which is why we need. He loves answers. We need to have this talk about cults ASAP. (laughs) The other thing we know right from this scene is that you got to pay attention to your kids art and their artwork how many times has this happened already even in the movies that we've watched we've watched seven yeah i mean it, i think it's happened it's twice great movie. <laughs> no kids on <laughs> um it's happened i think at least twice i want to know question for you fans of this podcast please tell us what was the very first movie where a kid draws a prescient? Where, uh, where a kid has The Shining? Where the kid, no, just the, a kid has some sort of sight or power and it's manifested through their drawings. Because it, it is one of the most overused tools in scary movies. I, I, I've come to hate it now. And Insidious was a really bad offender for this he as is this one because it's also very near-term sight it's not particularly helpful it's like showing you what you're literally about to go do it'd be so easy not to do it it's not like oh here's a here's a drawing of you whatever even just like meeting someone just like no you're gonna leave here right now and you're gonna get crucified in a cornfield here's a picture of it right all you have to do is not go so good luck with that yeah (laughs) Well, here's the thing. He sees those drawings and ignores them. The adult. Isaac sees the drawings and says, she has this, she has the sight, you know, in his weird little voice. Mm-hmm. And he gets it. But Bert, he comes in and sees these drawings and just ignores them until it matters to him, until it affects him. He'd be such a shitty doctor. Besides you know what fact- he is. He's a future bad dad. I'm just going to say it. Oh, indeed. He's definitely a has the kids to fix the relationship dad. Oh, yeah. Just to like calm his new wife down. She's always wanted kids. I figure I'll give her what she wants. Yeah. This guy's a total farm tool. Um, Lock him up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I want to know what the first movie is where these drawings are on screen and and then an adult ignores them 
to their peril, you know. And this might be the first one. I mean, I don't know. It's 1984. There weren't that many horror movies before the 70s, right? That's true. But you have probably, a, well, no, there's tons. There's all like your Vincent Price's and Boris Karloff's and yeah. Peter Lorre's and all yeah. this stuff. There's so many. I mean, how many of them? Yeah, but you're talking about like classic. I guess those are super classic, but um, okay, I'll give you that. I'm not up on all that stuff. I definitely know more from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Okay, here's 101. I don't know how many of those, there definitely fewer of those that had to do with like the supernatural in that respect, unless yeah. they were like based on a short, famous short story or something like that. And I, yeah, I actually know there's one on our list that's from the 50s, but I think that's an outlier and we'll probably discover that it's not that scary. Just <laughs> bracing myself here. <laughs> Should we, now we're talking about Bad Dad Bert, should we talk about some of the relationship stuff in this? Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really the the heart, I think, of like our response to this movie. Um, since Vicky and Bert come to this town, they're just driving through trying to get to his next posting at his medical, perfe- I don't know what he's doing, I don't care. He's driving um, to a residency somewhere. Yeah, fuck that guy. So he's driving. <laughs> Kirstie Ellie wants to. You're just not Kirstie Alley. Linda Linda Hamilton wants to. T-1000 wants to. Everybody (laughs) wants to fuck Bert. (laughs) I mean, it's got to be why she's staying in the relationship, right? She's nagging him in the motel Mm -hmm. to make a commitment. She does this weird not strip tease. That's what I thought you were going to talk about when you're talking about walking across the carpeted floors. I thought you were talking about weird strip tease were also. It wasn't a strip tease. Let's just not even call it that. That's what we thought it was going to be, but she's just singing, lip syncing to a song, a bad song. and Some random doo-wop song. Yeah, and she's like, all right, here's your birthday present. And I'm like, all right, this is happening. It didn't. It didn't happen. And then she... She sang the whole song. Yeah. It was awkward. Took her robe was, off her shoulder and then put it back on her shoulder. I was still sick thinking about her disgusting feet at that point. So <laughs> They mixed it weirdly. So the little transistor radio is like way quieter than her voice. So it's like really up front in that mix. And then she gives him his actual birthday present, which is she gave a medical doctor a cigarette lighter. Well, style of the times. Um, but it was in an engagement ring box. That was the weird part about it. Like she's oh, down yeah. on her knees. Then she brings up some thing about how she's expecting some sort of, you know, it was just so th- pathetic. It was pathetic. And then she, and then he's like, all right. After he blows out, what does he do? He blows out a candle. He blows out a candle and like a piece of shitty pie or something like that. And okay. And this so, reminds me of pie in our fridge and I'm going to eat that shit. All right. And so he goes to take a shower and she's like, Ugh. she's like all put off like. I, I don't know if she thought that he was going to propose or they thought if she thought they were going to bone, which I don't know why they would because she didn't take clothes off. <laughs> it was the least sexy thing ever. I'm not saying they had to, but she seems mad about something. Almost the whole movie, the whole drive as they leave yeah. the motel, they're on the road and she's just pissed off. To her credit, they do talk about it a little bit, but it's very, it's not a healthy conversation. No, it's very one sided and it's done in this way that gives Bert this permission structure to be able to just say, I, this isn't the time for me, or this isn't right for us because it's all framed in a way of like, I already know that you don't want to do this right now, but rather than just saying, here's what I want, here's my timeline, here's my demands on this relationship, unless she just wants to marry a doctor. I mean, don't we all? It's going to be like five more years. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> so she's upset at the way that time passes. So there's a lot of casual dysfunction in their relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of just bickering, a lot of like whining on both sides, like when the other person wants to do something mm-hmm. and they don't. Very childish. I mean, now I'm putting way too much on this movie, but they are pretty childish as far as as far as adults go unquestionably like the kids in the beginning do like a cross your heart hope to die promise about not telling malachi that the one kid who ends up getting killed runs away that's right the only kid who gets killed in the movie is that one Um, no isaac well isaac comes back 
But then later on, once they find Sarah in her childhood home and they're finally getting some answers and Vicky is just being a nice, normal person to this child who she knows has been abandoned. She doesn't quite have the full scope of things, but she's trying to connect with her and talking to her about her drawings and asking the good kinds of questions, which uh, I forget what they're called when you ask questions that leave some open-ended questions, right? Mm -hmm. That allow Sarah to give some, some of her own answers and give them some information and feel comfortable in the situation. Right. Not just yes or no questions. Not just yes or no stuff. Or things that have right or wrong answers. That's right. At that point, Bert essentially says, well, if you want to stay here so bad, I'm going to leave, which is the equivalent, the adult equivalent of like, if you like Sarah so much, why don't you marry her? And then he storms out. He does. He leaves his essentially fiance just in this farmhouse where all the phone lines have been cut all right. over this town. Okay. That's just... <sighs> I know this is like scary movie gripes here, but like a cut phone line should worry you. This is not the phone line from the receiver to to the wall. This is the phone to the receiver part. Right. The cord that, that connected. The, yeah. But like the. The curly cue the cord. Curly. Someone has cut all yeah. of these everywhere. So that should worry you. That should none of them seem worried. You said that she you think that she knew Sarah was abandoned. I don't think they 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 do not give one of the main faults of this movie is the directing. There are some really horrible lines like in that scene where Bert says, "Things just aren't happening fast enough." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "You're right. They're not." Yeah, and we've been so, here for an hour and 40, dog. We know exactly what you mean. Yeah, there are a lot of bad choices, but like a lot of them could have been solved or rectified with some better directing. No one, you you don't know the director. He didn't do very, anyway. very much after this. So it shouldn't be surprising. Or before it. <laughs> yeah. But I think that in better hands, like it, anyway, the point is he, I don't think they are worried at all. They're just like, we got to report this murder to somebody. Like they just want to like do their thing and get out of there. They want to just get this like, yeah, they, they want to get town. The, they would have. Yeah. They want to get this dead child out of their car and have it like off of their plate, you know, because once he figures out when they hit him that mm-hmm. the car crash didn't kill him, I think he's just like, whatever. I just want to like get this done. Yes. And so, yeah, just a lot of petulance. It's true. And Bert is a yeller. He like yells and shakes Sarah to get some information out of her when clearly she's a a, a child and B like again has been uh, I mean, doesn't know that she's only been talking to her brother for the last three years, but that she might be scared by the sight of an adult, let alone reluctant to give a stranger any information when she knows her life is in danger. Right. Yeah. There's not a lot of empathy. No. And Bert later yells at Job for helping him with the <laughs> fire thing. I was like, get that wrench out of here. Run over the thing. He's just like screaming at him. He's like, get out of here. Get back to the barn. He says that yeah. to like everybody. He's constantly yelling at people to get out of his way. Yeah. And when he does leave Vicky and Sarah alone in that house, then like the cult members descend and farm equipment is revealed very slowly into the frame you know that that sharp edge is headed for a victim so many unsheathings as i believe you said while <laughs> yeah. we were watching it <laughs> yeah it was just that sound effect over and over again but yeah he he condescends to the kids even when he's cornered in the cornfield, like eventually. That's right. He does yeah, Vicky, take care of business in that church. He kicks the shit out of a bunch of children and runs out even after he's been stabbed, right? Yeah. Vicky and Bert split up. Vicky gets caught by Malachi and put on a cross, um, not crucified, just tied up. Yeah, or she, her panties in a bunch Yeah, this there. isn't a scary movie or anything, <laughs> though he does cut her face in a really terrible special effects uh-huh. scene so she gets caught Bert's on his own trip with uh job and trying to outrun these kids he confronts them in the church and hears them like doing culty stuff and um is able to escape after they stab him in the shoulder yes and so he's able to escape into job and sarah's bunker their handy dandy bunker they, that's right they're in the bulkhead in their through yeah. the bulkhead in their basement like yeah cellar. And so, but eventually Bert goes to like, 
I don't know, ostensibly rescue Vicky, though that doesn't seem like the point at the time. I mean, they really have so little regard for each other. She just, it's... It's not inspiring love, I'll tell you that. No, there's not real love at all. I just don't know. Yeah. I do one thing about Bert is I know that our kids would really identify with one thing that he did, which is running face first into a pole that happened to have like a rusty metal object hanging from it. Yeah, that was uh, great. Because he wasn't watching where he was going. It was very realistic. Yeah, that was uh, probably the best part of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, besides this great diatribe, should we play it? Do it. Where Bert condescends to all of the children in town because he knows he's stronger than them. What's this? How it was with your parents, huh? Was it? Just because some self proclaimed holy man said this is what God commands? So? What kind of a God tells his children to kill their parents, huh? Answer me that, buddy, huh? Did you hear that before, Isaac? Did you? I can't believe you're this blind. Maybe you've been listening to these holy rollers so long. It's all started to sound the same. Well, it's not. Any religion without love and compassion is false. It's a lie. (laughs) Thank you, Bert. As I said, you do get to be on the kid's side after a while. Like, they're clearly doing just fine by themselves. Nobody seems, besides Job and Sarah, like no one seems unhappy in this cult. And then these adults come in and just try and tell them what to do. This and, is like somebody and, coming to your wedding and winging the speech. Yeah. He's doing no one any favors with this. Uh, I love the whole like holy rollers and air quotes line is so, it's so good. It's so off base. It has nothing to do with, it shows a disconnect with what is even happening in this right. community of kids. Yeah. He knows nothing about it or them or where it started or anything else. We just know he's anti-religion from the way they were in the car. And they have this really like myopic view of small town America. Right. Well, they, he does see them like preparing the almost 19 year old for sacrifice. But he was happy to be there. He, doesn't mean he's right, but it doesn't mean that like that they they should let them do it. But it is it is just like weird to then be like <laughs> to call these people these kids this this bunch of holy rollers and say that like this is not about. No, I agree. I just he did he did have like some insight into what was going on yeah, there. Right. Just for the people who aren't like super familiar with Children of the Corn, I mean, this to me was it was a movie that I watched several times as a kid but i don't know if it's like a classic the way that i think about it i think it is a pop culture reference classic it is is. not a classic movie right yeah you do not need to see it i remember the sequels being scarier but my time on this earth is i mean i don't know how long i have here and i can't waste precious moments of this life of mine watching children of the corn sequels i can't do it we'll see about that (laughs) cut to if this podcast goes on long enough we're just gonna have to exactly i mean we only have a list of like 30 movies so that said now it's time to rate this movie and the kids (laughs) all right um carol how many uh how many bloody dog scarves do you give this movie (laughs) out of eight oh my god we didn't even touch upon deal and his dog and the old man that gets murdered at the gas station um out of eight you said yeah Hmm. i give this a tattered piece of one (laughs) bloody dog scarf great how about you? How many um how many dog scarves? Uh out of eight. Does doesn't matter, dog's dead. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Okay, the kids in this movie, now there are a lot of them, but let's focus on the main four Job, Sarah, Isaac, and Malachi. Mm-hmm. How many 
um, dried corn husks <laughs> out of uh, 10,000 do you give them? Because okay. that's, that's how many were used in the movie. That's true. Ten, no, they just reused the same 80 corn husks. <laughs> they just repositioned that's them. That's probably true. Jam them into different stuff so all around town. It was so creepy and chilling and just terrifying the way they did that. I'm joking. It was <laughs> dumb. <laughs> Hmm. Please. Um, <laughs> I'll say, I'll still say 10,000 maniacs, these kids. I don't care. I didn't think any of them were, I started to sympathize with Isaac by the end of it. I, and I, I kind of appreciated his performance by the end of it. I think everyone else, it was like a student film, you know, where it's like a lot of kids given stuff that there was well beyond their, their reach and there was no one there to to help them be good at what they were trying or what they could have gotten across with the same material. I I thought that like as a Malachi person seems like a he seems like a bully ish guy like right. and then Isaac is whiny and the two kids Joe and Sarah are like lobotomized. They're nothing. They did nothing. As a person who did her BFA film project, uh, a horror movie involving children. I'm called, familiar with it. Called Axe Bike. I can say that you are correct. It is like that. It's like an 18 year old directing children. Yeah. It's but, tough to, it's tough to do. You did a better yeah. job. Thank you. 18. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Podcast dismissed. <laughs> Just like uh, I shut down the feed. <laughs> <laughs> so how <laughs> how many out of 10,000 dried husks do you give them? Nine. Mm. Said just like Isaac. The truth is Nine. That was a trick question because we'll get into this in our segment. Where are they now? But uh since you asked, I give them five dried. Wow. <laughs> Five out of 10,000. Yeah. So moving right along to our segment. It's Mummy and Daddy's Totally Awesome. Where are they now? Okay. So it was, in fact, a trick question that I included Isaac in that rating because, as you might be guessing, he was not a child. Oh. Yes. I was. I, I thought a lot about it while I was watching it and dismissed it. Yeah, John Franklin was born in 1959, and he was in several of the Children of the Corn movies. He was Cousin It in Adam's Family, which you'd never know, the hair monster. In which, in the 90s ones? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And the whole thing is, John Franklin was diagnosed with GHD as a child. GHD is the reason for his short stature. He was signed into an acting contract at the age of 23 because he looked like he was 12 years old. So, oh my God. Yeah. So, but no, no, you don't have to be sad because guess what? I'm not he, sad. He teaches, and you're crying. So I just thought you were sad. Um, got that out. That wasn't funny. Um, I thought it was funny. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> no, don't. Now you can't. <laughs> Go on. Uh, he teaches Shakespeare in English and screenwriting at Golden Valley High School in Santa Clarita. And he had an acting career. And he also... He had a private eye following this guy around. Why would yeah, I say what high school he's in? <laughs> teaching. <laughs> this is, who knows how old this... He was fired for... <laughs> yeah. For leading the children in a cult. <laughs> But basically, he was married in 2008 to David White. He has a partner. Yes. And it says right here on his IMDb um, full bio, he's a huge fan of the Beatles, Sarah McLaughlin, Lenny Kravitz, Duran Duran, and Trisha Yearwood. He likes popular music. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry, John Franklin, but you got to take this down from your bio. The Motown sound and oldies, both in quotes. One of his favorite actors is Ed Norton. And won't he be thrilled that Ed Norton has a new movie that he's directing and starring in coming out this year. So John Franklin's doing great. 
Ed Norton is directing a movie with John Franklin in it? No, John Franklin just lists him as one of his favorite actors. No, his favorite actor. Oh, so you're saying he'll be thrilled to know that there's a new Ed Norton coming out in 2019 or 2020. Exactly. He loves them. Okay, so he was much older. Take this stuff off your MDB page. You are married. You do not need to meet anyone with your by your broad musical tastes. I love Sarah McLaughlin. (laughs) Lenny. The Beatles. Have you heard of them? They make great music. Motown. You like? Yeah, I like Motown. Okay. Trisha Yearwood. Sorry at the State Fair. Fabulous. Oh. Actually, I did that was a long time ago. La di da, wow! Didn't know you were a braggart. <laughs> I cracked myself up there. What is um, the weekend? <laughs> you know, I listened to uh, Bill Nye's podcast, and they have the same inefficiency with cues like that. So I'm feeling good about Mommy and Daddy. Awesome. Thank you. So, moving on to where are they now? Uh, Malachi, his name is Courtney Gaines, and he has had... Is he Chris Gaines' brother? Probably. (laughs) It's got to be a rare name. He has had a very lengthy acting career. He was in Back to the Future, The Burbs, Sweet Home Alabama, and then like every television show. You know, one of those Good for him. Yeah, that, that underbite has served him well. Mm. I think he got it corrected, but that's definitely why he was cast in this movie, let's face it. Redheads were thought of as pricks in the 80s. Nobody liked them. Well, he also just looks like a redneck as well, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, long hair. And then Job, Robbie Kiger, he uh, does not have a photo on IMDb. You know, that's not good. Doesn't need one. No. His last acting credit was in 1990. Welcome home, Roxy Carmichael, but still hasn't acted in 30 years. Uh, but he was in the Monster Squad. In oh, solid. Yeah. So good for him. And then Sarah, <laughs> Children of the Corn just was a, a real career maker. Sarah Anne-Marie McEvoy. McEvoy? McEvoy? No. Like James McEvoy? No. It's a Mick. Not a Mac. But she was in not only Full House, also Fuller House. So Okay. She went on and did great things. Um, she she really wasn't in a ton of things, but she was on Newhart and Family Ties. I mean, <laughs> Mr. Belvedere, she's freaking taking him down sitcom after sitcom. So your parents took all your money. I actually do remember her on Full House. She was Kathy Santoni mm. and she was one of DJ's friends or like she was part of the popular crowd, I think. Ah, uh, we remember her well. Yes. <laughs> a career that shan't be forgotten. Uh, Carol will be laying flowers on her Walk of Fame star for decades to come. Oh, my God. Moving right along to our segment, The Kids Are Creepy All Right. We should have a drop for this. We just don't. Maybe we... <laughs> um. This one is a little like Cronenbergy gross out creepiness from our children. Well, let's hear it. Yeah. Um, Halloween is upon us, as we've said. And uh, Boo, our young, our youngest child, younger, and Boo, our younger child, who's just starting to talk, is fascinated with eyeballs lately <laughs> and wanting you to touch it. Yes. We're wanting to touch yours. Eyeball? Touch it? (laughs) Touch it? (laughs) Eyeball? It is really creepy. And he just comes out of nowhere with it. I just am excited for all the creepiness to come with Boo. It's going to be a lot of it. And eventually he's going to get one. You know that, right? He's going to catch an eyeball. Oh, God, stop. You ever touch your own eyeball? I have to. I wear contacts. But yeah, like... Not for fun. Uh, not for fun, no. Huh. I have other things to do with my time. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> also, and we call him Boo, but he is at that age where he loves a good scare. Loves a good pop-out scare. Yeah, he gets absolutely giddy. So hopefully, hey, maybe he's our kid who likes to watch scary movies. Maybe. We've always thought this for two years. That's true. Always. 
All right. Take it away, Josh. Scary good stuff. Oh, it's time for scary good stuff. We want to talk, because there are so many loose husks in the city of Gatlin, we want to talk to you about the benefits of composting. Yeah, and how easy it is, really. Even if you have just a tiny bit of outdoor space. Or indoor space. You can actually compost in an apartment. There are kits that are sold that are basically like the size of like a plastic bin that you put under your bed. You can put it in a... In a you could in, put it under your bed. Under your bed. Put it in a closet uh, next to your dangling tool lines. Um, you put one in there. Gotta catch they, them all. With those ones, you need to include some worms. You need something that will actually compost the biological oh, material. Like a starter. Mm-hmm. But it, they don't, it doesn't smell. It's not a dirty thing. It doesn't attract pests. It is a self-contained thing, but you can get rid of all of your uh, vegetable waste in a compost bin. Yeah. In LA, the city sells bins for about 20 bucks. You can also make them very cheaply with some chicken wire or whatever else you you, you got around if you have some outdoor space. You we, just don't want the the animals to get into it, right? That's the idea. And they won't yeah. they won't really be attracted to it cuz there's no like there's dairy no animal or, fats. Right. There's no dairy or ma- meat or anything like that. Um we don't even put our eggshells in it. We do. I do. I, I thought I, we weren't supposed to. No, you are supposed to. You can put eggshells. We put our eggshells in it. Um, it's a controversial subject, but Apparently. we do it. <laughs> I do. And I'll even throw an egg carton in there from time to time. Yeah. It and, should be a mix of mm-hmm. both green and brown stuff is what they say. So brown being dead material, that could be newspaper, paper bags, that kind of thing. Egg cartons are great. Uh, and a mix of green stuff, which could be your daily vegetable and fruit waste and that kind of thing. Yard clippings. If you have a yard to mow you just toss a little bit of that in there it's a mixture keep Mm -hmm. it damp it'll start going on its own you can actually like feel the heat coming off of it super cool and i love it i really i love doing it we eat vegetarian in our house for the most part and so we have a lot of we probably have an inordinate amount of compostable material coming through our kitchen every day and if you go out to our bin we've been composting for probably six years now and in a bin that's about the size of like a city garbage can, there's it's maybe a third full. Yeah, it's it nuts. It just turns back into soil and it gets down to nothing. And so why do this as opposed to put it in a landfill? Biological materials, of course, break down, but they produce a lot of gases that get trapped inside the stuff. And it creates, there's no like easy way for them to escape and they're not getting converted into other material because they're not being mixed with other organic stuff. So you really do want. Yeah, to, it's great for the environment to actually have a compost bin. I can't recommend it enough. You can have a little bowl or a pail yeah. in your kitchen to then take stuff outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not um, gardeners, really. We have never used the soil. But if you have a garden, it makes this incredible soil. I mean, we actually have this giant tomato plant growing out of our compost right now that we've been harvesting harvesting these tomatoes like so which are out of control and um they're like the best tasting tomatoes ever if i tried to grow a tomato plant i would fail um but mm-hmm. without trying we actually had a squash plant growing out of the compost and we had to just take it down because it was growing the side of our house the point is it's a great thing to do it's really not that hard and it will make you feel better about doing your part and those small things are super important Mm -hmm. help reduce that climate anxiety baby it's very helpful for me you know that's what children of the corn is all about so climate anxiety took me six years to build up the courage to even watch it the drought is coming for us all so you may as well (laughs) compost while you can before you're poisoned and have your throat slit now's the time people get a bin toss it in composting well that's it for this our first october installment in hallow month as we call it here at mummy and daddy yes one of three the magic number as they say <laughs> don't be a creep get in touch email mummy at gmail.com twitter and facebook at mummy x daddy or on instagram at mummy x daddy pod of course, you can leave us a voicemail with your erotic Stephen King readings at 818-839-1991. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
tell a friend. If you know somebody who doesn't listen to podcasts, show them how to do it. It's not hard, but lots of people don't know. Our theme music is by Kyle Andrews. Our logo was designed by Dara Weinberg. Maggie Spaulding is a delightful drawing from your child that you do not ignore. Eyeball? Touch it? Is it with this corn?